have been in a series. This is the, the sixth week of, of this series about the Holy Spirit. Um, we entitled it Everyday Spirit because the Holy Spirit, while beautiful and it's showing up in worship and it's, and it's miraculous abilities to bring healing and power and prophecy and tongues and all these things which I adore and love of the church, it is critically important and I believe even to the point of being more important that it's something that's lived out every day of our lives. Not just as a show on Sunday, but as a show out and show up every day. And so we've been in this series and we have covered so much of the Holy Spirit from the Holy Spirit living in us, the Holy Spirit upon us, being filled with the Spirit. Last week we talked about living a Spirit-led life, and today we're going to catapult a four-week portion of this series. We're going to preach the Holy Spirit for a little while because there's just way too much going on in Scripture about the Holy Spirit to do it in four or five or even six weeks. And so we're just going to, we're just going to roll with this as far as the Spirit leads um, I can't preach about being spirit-led and then put a limit on how, where he's going to lead us in this message series. And so um, uh, we've taken the lid off of where this is going to go, and this is just where we are. And so we're going to enter into like a four-week session part now where we're going to actually talk from one of my personal favorite attributes and aspects of the Holy Spirit is the changed life. Like to me, I see, I, I've, been a, I've been a part of the charismatic and Pentecostal movement since my salvation in 1998, and, um, and I, I love that, but to me, the greatest miracle ever performed in the history of the mankind is the changed heart, because if you know people, people don't change very well. They don't change very often, and they certainly don't change very quickly. And so when, he, when you see someone whose heart has been changed, it just, it just brings this sense of glory and power and honor to God that um, you just can't do in any other way. And so today we're going to jump into my favorite part of this aspect of the Holy Spirit, and it's going to be talking in Galatians chapter 5 when we talk about bearing fruit. And so as we get started, let me give you a little bit of context, because context is the most important thing to understanding and studying Scripture. And so when people think about the Word of God historically, and even today in society, they think about the Word of God, they oftentimes associate it with rules and regulations, things that they can't do, and things that they can do, and things that they should do, and things that they shouldn't do. And you, rules usually are the equivalent of prison in some minds, I don't know about you, but I have lived a very rebellious life up prior to my walk with Christ. And if you told me, do not do this, there was about a 99.99999% chance that I was going to do that very thing. And the only one, one millionth of a percent that I wouldn't is simply because I didn't feel like it. So either, still, either way, it was still about me and what I wanted and what I desired. And so... To some and to many, rules means and equals no fun. Rules means someone else dictating what I can and cannot do, what I can and cannot say. The problem is this. Scripture is not designed that way. Scripture is not about rules. The Bible is not void of fun. It's not meant to be someone else telling you what you can and cannot do with your life. And it is, in fact, God's word that leads us to the ultimate form of freedom. I would actually petition and, and contest the idea of it being about rules and suggest 
that because you hold that standard of Scripture being about rules and what I can and cannot do, you are actually more in bondage than me who follows this as a lifestyle. Because you are bound to your own thoughts, bound to your own abilities, bound to what you think is right. And last time I checked, I am not anyone to determine what is and is not right. That's left solely to God. And so the freedom that I experience in following Christ and having a changed life is actually what Galatians chapter 5 is about. The first 15 verses of Galatians 5 are all about how a spirit-led life leads to a life of freedom. And so using this freedom not to sin, but to instead embrace and love one another. That's the greatest challenge I see in the church today, is that there is an almost refusal to embrace and love one another. Like I, have, I have seen it way too many times. I've witnessed it with my own eyes. I've heard it in conversations, not just from congregants and people who attend church, but even, unfortunately, from some of the people who actually lead in the church. And there's this sense of, if you don't do things that I think you should do or say things that I think you should say the way I think you should say them or the way I think you should do them, then there's something wrong with you and you can't have any part with me. And to me, I just cannot even rationalize that thought in my brain. And as a matter of fact, in Galatians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, that's where we're going to start this morning. We're going to actually break down from this, per this point all the way to the end of Galatians 5. And this is pretty much where we're going to live this morning is in Galatians. And so the Bible says, For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware you're destroying one another. But he says, the whole law can be summed up. So it's, it's interesting. See, the most important thing about studying Scripture is this, is understanding what comes before what you're studying and what comes after what you're studying because they have just as much importance as what you're studying. Galatians chapter 5, when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, you have to understand the design for that even conversation for Paul to have is, is formed and found in love for one another. And so, one of the most popular teachings in all of Scripture is derived from verses 14 and 15. Because it talks about, I mean, we, how many times have you heard a message or heard some, a preacher preach that the whole law can be summed up in one command, love your neighbor as yourself? We have heard that message over and over and over. We've preached it over and over and over. Yet, it doesn't seem to hit home with us in our everyday action. And I think there's a reason for that, and we're going to get to that in just a minute. <clears throat> so the whole point of Galatians and the whole point of this writing is to teach them to love one another. And then you move on to verses 16 and 17. The Bible says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Okay, so we have to understand that you have a sin nature. You were born into sin because of the original sin that took place in the Garden of Eden. You now have this nature to sin. And I've talked about that before, and I don't, want, I don't need to keep going in that path, but that's illustrated with one illustration only. A child does never needs to be taught to say, mine. 
Do you, know you can teach a child, don't say mine, don't say mine, don't say mine all your life. It does not, it's not going to do you any good. You just wasted however much time it took you to teach that because the first thing a child's going to do when they have something that they want, mine. You don't have to teach it. It's innate. Why? Because we have this sinful nature. So Paul's saying that let the Holy Spirit guide your lives and you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. Verse 18, But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. So, let's say you have to forgive me, I am working my way through a small bronchitis issue. So I drink some water. If I hit an inhaler every so often, don't get fearful. I'm not going anywhere. I'm just trying to catch my breath. I only know one way to preach, and that's all out. So God covers me, even when I don't feel right. So there's a couple of things I want to point out real quick in this text. And one is there in you right now, in me right now, in all of us right now, there are two opposing forces your sinful nature, and your spirit nature. They are going at it. They are waging war for your soul. And we are the, are the unwilling and willing participant in this battle. And just think about it. How many times in the middle of an encounter, whether you be driving, that's usually my challenge, or you be in a conversation with a friend or a family member or even just somebody who's made you mad, when you, you're in that second, you're in that moment, and it's a split second that you have to make the choice, am I going to take the road that leads me towards where the Holy Spirit is leading and living, or am I going to take the road that is more my nature from birth and how I respond to this person that I'm with? So for me, when sometimes when I'm driving and I'm going down the road and I'm chilling and things are good and somebody cuts me off, I usually can handle it fairly well. But by the second or third person, I'm now a little frustrated. Or, because of my lack of patience in my life, somebody might be doing 15 miles per hour in a 25 mile an hour speed zone, and I'm like, move your butt! What are you, a moron or something? That's the New Yorker in me. You could take the kid out of the city, but the city does, takes time to get out of the kid. But I get that, that's where my frustration comes. And then I start to speak things that they can't hear. And I gotta, I mean, if there was like a video camera looking at me while I'm yelling at the person in the other car, I'm like, I'm in a big piece of steel. They're not hearing anything I'm saying right now. But it's those moments when you're faced with how am I gonna respond in this situation, which is evidence of this battle going on in you. Now, that's a jovial, more ridiculous one, but how about in our relationships with one another? With friends, with family, spouses, children. Ooh. All these, all these relationships and all these encounters we have with one another, there is a battle waging for our response. And because we are subjected to this sinful nature, we have this, this innate thing inside of us that leads us in that direction. 
That's why Paul would make statements like, I have to crucify my flesh. I have to beat my flesh into submission daily. Because he knew that his nature was to do not what he wanted to do. Matter of fact, he even said, it's what I do. I I hate what I do. What I love is what I do not do. But what I hate is what I do. He hated sin, and sin was what he would do. Even Paul would look at this and say that he would acknowledge this battle that wages two opposing forces. And so you have this spirit and you have this flesh and you have this, they're both promising the same thing that neither, that, that, that one, only one can deliver. You know, your flesh is promising you gratification. Your flesh is promising you peace. It's promising if I do this, then I'm going to be okay. Or if I do this, and the spirit's really the only one that can give you gratification. The spirit's the only one that can really give you peace in any situation. But yet we seem to like to follow the flesh. So let's look at these verses and break them down a little bit more. I'm not going to spend too much time on these first two because I've preached these already in this six-week span. And so I I just want to recall them back to your mind. But this idea in verse number 16 when he says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, that he won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. That, that phrase, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, literally means to walk by the Spirit. That word guide literally is translated in the, in the original text as walk. And it really means to make your way, to progress. See, here's the thing. We have an issue with progress. We think progress should be like getting our food in a fast food restaurant. I've placed my order. Let me tell you, I know a little something about this. I've placed my order at the drive-thru. I've pulled up to the window. I've paid for my food, and I've gotten my food. And at Chick-fil-A, our goal is to do that in under three minutes. That's fast. But because of the societal mentality of fast, we expect God to do the same thing. God, I went to church. I paid my tithe. I lifted my hands in one, even once. I was so moved by the Spirit, I even did this. Or I did this. So now where's my blessing? Why don't I have my money? Why don't I have my job? Why don't I have the car that I need, the house that I want? Why is my marriage still broken? Why are my children still disobedient? Why are, and we have all these questions because God didn't move because we went to church one time and paid our tithes one time and lifted our hands one time. We have this mentality. So, but this word, let the spirit guide your lives, literally means to make progress. Do you know that if you're headed in a direction, one step is progress? Like if I'm trying to get to the back of this room, it's not very far, but if I take one step, I've made progress. And even if this one step has left me here for a little bit of time, I've still made progress because I'm not where I was. See, that's the problem. We, we all want to be where we're going and forgetting that we are not where we once were. And progress, walking with this Holy Spirit, is about making progress. If we walk with the Spirit, then we won't do what the sin nature craves. If we walk with the Spirit, we will not walk toward the flesh, but rather toward freedom. Because here's the thing. I started right here. I'm walking towards freedom. Nope, I'm going back towards flesh. Nope, I'm walking towards freedom. And this is what we do. Let me tell you something, doing this gets you nowhere. 
It just gets you tired. I can do this. If I do this for 30 minutes, I'm going to be exhausted. I'm going to be hitting my inhaler. Because I'm getting nowhere, but I'm exhausting myself physically. I'm exhausting myself mentally. I'm exhausting myself emotionally, but I'm getting nowhere. So when we walk with the Spirit, we are making progress. Now, how will you know if you made progress? We'll get to that in a second. So in verse 18, we have this second idea. And these are in your notes, by the way, if you're not following along. The first one was walking Walk by the Spirit. The second one, in verse 18, the Bible says, but when you are directed by the Spirit. So there's two differences. There's a walk with the Spirit, and there's a direction of the Spirit. Being directed by the Spirit is a lot of what I preached last week of being led by the Spirit. So I'm walking because I'm making progress in my walk with God. I'm making progress in my relationship with the Holy Spirit. But then verse 18, he says, but when you are directed by the Spirit, you're not under the obligation of the law of Moses. That being directed literally means laying hold of and walking out. It's two pieces. I'm being led of the Spirit means the Spirit of God is laying hold of me, and I'm walking out with him. It's kind of like, it's kind of like what used to happen before we, my family got wise. My family got wisdom one day. So let's take two cars to church. The reason why was because this dude does this a whole lot. And I would be doing this a whole lot while my family's just sitting waiting on me to stop doing this before they could leave the church. So wisdom said, let's just bring both cars to church. Because here's what would happen. My wife would be like trying to lay hold of me, but I wasn't walking with her. And that's, what, that's how we treat the Holy Spirit. Like, he lays hold of us, and he starts to walk. We're like, hold on a minute. I'm not done talking over here. I'm not done living over here. I'm not done doing what I want to do over here, so I'm not really ready to, to roll with you yet. This is what it means to be led by the Spirit. Like I said, I'm not going to spend too much time in that because I preached a whole message about that last week. If you want to look at that, go to rfcpeoria.com and click on listen and le- listen to that message if you missed it. But we have to allow the Holy Spirit to lay hold of our lives in every aspect of our lives. Okay? It's not just about what I do with my life. It's not about the big call of God on my life. It's about every day. How do I speak to my family? How do I speak to my children? Anybody ever heard the phrase or uttered this phrase, sticks and stones may break your bones, but names will never hurt you? That person's an idiot who said it. That's an idiot. Because if you spew words to your children that have anything to do with their value in anything other than a positive, uplifting manner, they believe it. And they live it. And then, as the, as the grieving parent, we say, well, why is my kid so messed up? Let me help you out with that. You messed them up. Why? Because of the things you spoke out of your mouth. We think if we whip our kids, that's the greater problem. No, I will beat my, t- my child's tail, but I will not stand up and tell them that they're worthless in any aspect. With a wooden paddle, she knows. Don't be calling no DCFS on me. I told, I, my, my son and I joke about it. I told him, I said, dude, just because you're a you're approaching my size, and he's only doing it this way. He ain't, 
you ain't got that yet. But just because you're approaching my size does not mean I won't put you on your back. Does not mean I won't, I can't make you cry. And he's just, because he comes up and he's like, because he's all an inch and a half to two inches shorter than me now. And I just tell him that. And of course, jokingly, he's like, I'll call DCFS. That's okay. Go for it, bro. They put you in foster care. You ain't going to do nothing to me. And then he's, I was like, so I don't think there's a house out there that can feed you. So go for it. Of course, he's like, maybe you're right. Because a dude don't just snack. He eats full meals like six times a day. But that's the thing that we, we, don't, we, we, we think that what we're saying isn't hurting someone. But being led of the Spirit means we will not be following what that sin nature craves, what our anger craves. Our anger craves to make other people angry. So when we're angry, we say things to others in anger. My wife and I have been married almost 20 years. A lot of things have been said in anger. Because that's what happens. And so there's a second part of this, though. It's really interesting. It says you are not under the obligation of the law of Moses. Here's why that's important. Being under the law is believing that a certain action creates a certain affection in God's heart towards us. So if I do this, then God's going to be happy with me. Therefore, I have performed up to his expectation, so then maybe I will be blessed. Let me help you with that theology. Take it out of your pocket, throw it on the ground, and kick it away because it's worthless. Because you did nothing to deserve God's love. You did nothing to deserve his favor. Matter of fact, the word favor in scripture, grace, is unmerited, meaning there's nothing you can do with it. You can't, you can't buy it. You can't work for it. You can't, you can't perform for it. You can't be good for it. You can't do anything. I give my children the things I give them because I love them, not because they deserve them. Because there's a lot of things that my kids don't deserve that they get. Because it's a, the heart of the parent. We've got a heart of a father who gives things to us we don't deserve. And so when, when, we're, when we're not obligated to be under the law, the law says we have to do, 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 do in order to get, 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 get. But God says, I've done. Now it's all yours. See, that's the part we miss. I did the work. I sent my son. I caused him to be bruised. I caused him to be crucified. I caused him to die and shed his blood. I caused him to wake up. And now Jesus said to us that I have the keys and all authority to the kingdom of God and I give them to you is what he told his disciples. And then he told his disciples to go and give them to others. So we don't have to do and perform in order to get. That's broken theology. That's broken religion. Matter of fact, the law is something that is external and exposes an internal reality. That's what the law is. The law is only good to tell us what we don't do well. That's also in your notes in case you wanted to know. It should be up on the screen too. But we often like to separate the issue from the person. Check my time here. All right, good. We like to separate the issue. Like, if, you, if I were to ask you, if I were to walk up to you and say, hey, Cleo, are you a liar? Look, he didn't respond, right? Because here's what we do. We will lie, but we sure enough ain't going to consider ourselves a liar. Right? This is what we do. Well, I, I'm not a liar, but I lie sometimes. 
Oh, I don't cuss. Well, sometimes I get mad and a word flies out. Well, then you cuss. I don't steal, but the offering passed by and don't nothing come out of my pocket. Oh, I didn't just say that. Let me move on. But we want to separate ourselves from the issue. It's so much easier to identify an external problem than it is to deal with an internal one. To say, well, I have a pornography issue, but I don't stay off the computer. Or I have an anger problem, but instead of figuring out how to combat my anger, I just want to explode it out. In which case, I have now torn down everyone within the sound of my voice. I mean, after all, I have the right to pick and choose whatever external action, and then I have the right to say, I need to work on that external action. But that's not how this works. You can't work on an anger problem by working on anger. You have to work on an anger problem by allowing God to work on what's in the heart that caused that anger problem. This is why we're broken. This is why we have issues in our society. This is why, this is why families are being destroyed. This is why the devil is, is gaining ground in the family because we will try to deal with the external issue without ever checking the internal. Why? Because that hurts. That's painful. Well, you're asking me, you're asking me, I'm sitting here and you're asking me to say, wait a minute, I, you want me to talk about how I feel? You want me to talk about why I hurt? When we talk about the fact that my father wasn't there for me, and when he was, he told me I was worthless. You want me to talk about that? You want me to talk about why he never was around? You want me to tell you how I feel about that? Can't do it. Because now I'm letting you in a place that I'm not comfortable with. I'd rather just stand up, puff up my chest, and say, I can deal with it. Let me tell you something. God will deal with it. My hope is that you are walking with him in that journey. Because my experience, personally, is I didn't walk with him in that journey, and he dealt with it anyway. And the pain, a whole lot worse than if I just walked with him in that journey. The heart, when it's transformed, says, I want God, what? What God wants. I want to follow where God leads me. I want to say what God wants me to say. I don't want to think, I, want, I don't want to, I don't want to, do the things that bother God, and it's backed by this mo motivation. Fear versus love. I do because I love, not because I'm scared, not because I'm fearful. I have awe and reverence and respect for my God, but I do because I love. The third thing that I'm going to share with you before we jump in, and this is, this is the, uh, the crux of our message here, and the catapulting us into the next few weeks. The third thing I want you to get from, from this Galatian scripture is that we are required to bear fruit. Just in case you don't take Paul's words as well as you take Jesus' words, let me give you his first. John chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus said, Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Previously in John chapter 15, uh, 15 there, he said that I am the vine, you are the branches. And God cuts the branches that bear no fruit and then sets them on fire. Fire! 
Not cool. Anybody, anybody ever burned themselves? How do you like that feeling? Not cool. I do not want to be a branch set on fire. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and, and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Paul would echo this sentiment and just take it a little bit deeper and give a little bit more specificity to it in Galatians chapter 5, verse number 22 through 24. He says, but the Holy Spirit, because now we just handled like the, the flesh, right? The, 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 the carnal nature, the sinful nature and what it does. He goes on to say in verse 22 through 24, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and the all-important self-control. There is no law against these things, he says. Then he goes on, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. I love this version of scripture when it says that, New Living Translation when it says that. Those who belong to Christ, if you sit in here and you belong to Christ, then you have nailed your passions and your desires of your sin to the cross and crucified them there. Here's what I want to point out. If something is nailed to the cross, you have got to rip it off to take it back. It's not just this easy thing I just threw up in the air. Oh, let me catch that real quick. You nail, if you've nailed them to the cross, you have to, you have to yank to get that thing back to take it with you. But here's a couple of things I want to point out real quick, and I've, do, I've done this many times, so I'm not going to beat this one down because I've done it a lot. But fruit in this passage of Scripture is a singular word, not a plural word. In the original language, it's a singular word, not a plural word. Why is that important? Because oftentimes, we want to read the Scripture like this. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruits in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Why do we do that? Because it justifies within us to say, well, I love well, but I have no patience. And that's okay because I have love. I, I, it, over, it, it overshadows my lack of patience. Or I have peace, but I'm not very kind. I have goodness in me, but I'm not real faithful. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit. Meaning... If you're living and walking of the Holy Spirit, you will walk in love and joy and patience and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. That is the fruit of the Spirit. They are not pick and choose. It's not like going to the store and say, okay, I'm going to grab an apple today. I'm going to grab a strawberry today. Maybe I like these berries over here. They're looking kind of nice. I'm going to grab these three, and that's going to be what I walk out with today. I'm going to leave self-control away because, you know, after all, if I love but I have no self-control, I'm still good. I got some of that fruit. Some fruit's better than no fruit. But that's not how this word translates. Fruit of the Spirit is this is what you will look like if you walk with Christ, if you're led of the Holy Spirit. And I know that sucks. Can we just be honest? I know some people don't like when I say the word sucks, but it sucks. Because I can't stay, oh, I'm good with all these, but I don't have patience. I have to say I'm not great with the fruit because I don't have patience. Doesn't matter how much I love. If I'm telling the person next to in front of me in the car that they're a moron because they can't drive, I'm lacking both love and patience in that moment. Just because they can't hear me doesn't mean 
anything. See, we think, oh, well, if they don't hear me say it, then it's all right. But fruit is singular, not plural. We cannot play the game that says, oh, I'm really good at this, and I stink at this, and I'm growing here, but I'm not growing here. It's great to recognize that because it's good for you to be able to recognize how God is moving in your life. And the fruit is not designed for you to say, okay, I lack patience, so let me work really hard on patience. Because what I say to you before, no matter work can earn what God has for you. But here's what happens. When you lack patience, God gives you opportunities to be patient. Ask me how many times a day someone gets in front of me and drives 15 miles an hour on a 25-mile-an-hour road. More times than I can count. And I fail more times than I can count. I, I just said it to myself last night as I was coming home, and I was like, man, this happens to me all the time. Why does this always happen? And then I really felt the Lord say in that moment, and this is how I hear God, so don't judge me. You suck at patience. I'm trying to help you here, brother. So my prayer is that I don't tell the person in front of me that they're a moron because they can't drive. The whole point of this text and the point of what the Holy Spirit of God does in us is to transform us motivated by love in our lives. It's not about rules. It's not about regulations. It's not about, it's about being transformed by the love of God that then causes us to love one another. Because if you're truly transformed by the love of God, your love for others will be crazy. But so will your patience. And so will your kindness and your goodness. And so if we just kind of flesh this out a little bit and see it would be a little ridiculous to say, I grow here. I don't really want to grow in patience, so I'm good. I got enough love to cover my patience. I used to say that because I love anyone and everyone all the time. Slap me in the face, stab me in the back, kick me. I'm going to love you. It's just the way that I'm wired. I can't help it. I don't even, I don't even talk poorly about people anymore, except when they drive in front of me at 15 miles per hour. And I used to think, because I love like that, there's some concessions for me to not have to be so patient. Yeah, I was wrong. And so Christ has this offer for us today. It's living the life that we've laid out in Galatians chapter 5, 19 through 21, where we produce fruit. Because here's the thing. People, and I'm going to say it like this, and some folks may not like how it sounds, but there is a, there's this thing out there that's very real. It's called addiction. Addicting, addiction to drugs, pornography, other spirits, other things, the, the admonition of others. There's this addiction. But let me tell you something. Do you know that word can actually be redeemed? Because seriously, how bad is it to say I'm addicted to the presence of God? We don't use it that way. We don't associate it that way. We look at it as it's just this negative thing. But I believe that there is this fulfillment and this glory that comes into our lives from being sold out 
for Christ in all aspects of my life. I'll just say that I'm addicted to Jesus. Language may not be what someone prefers, but I believe that anything that the devil meant for evil, God certainly can redeem for my good. So in order to walk in the Spirit and grow in this offer that Jesus has for you, you have to, you must, absolutely must crucify your flesh. How do you do that? How do we crucify our flesh? Well, first you have to understand the fruit that he's preaching here is not the seed. It's not the seed. The fruit is not the seed. The apple is not the apple seed. The apple is what happens when the seed is planted, nurtured, cultivated, waited on, and then picked properly. It is. The fruit is not the seed. It's what happens through the progress. This is why, I mean, seriously, if you, if somebody said that they can grow an apple tree in three minutes and you can have this apple in three minutes, how many of you going to be skeptical? Right? I'll be like, yeah, it's all right. You can keep your genetically modified apple tree. I'll wait on the real deal. I'll wait on the, the most impactful thing. I had a pastor that I, that I, that I, that I worked for on staff in, in Texas. The most impactful thing he said to me in three years. And all the time I was with him, I spent tons and tons of time with him and heard every one of his messages. The most impactful thing he ever said to me was this. Mike, in ministry, I don't want weeds. I'll wait for grass. And I was so young and so naive, and I was like, what the heck does that even mean? And then I realized a weed will sprout up quickly. But just as quick as it pops, it goes. The wind will blow it away. But grass that is planted, that is seeded, that is watered, that is cultivated, that is nurtured, that is taken care of property, properly will grow. And let me tell you something. You can't just reach down and dig grass out of the ground. You can't just grab a piece and pull it and think you're pulling all the grass up. You can, I, can, I can walk by my, the front of my house and say, oh, there's some weeds. I grab it, twist, pull, out, throw, they're gone. But grass, you can't do that. And grass is healthy. A weed isn't. And this is, what, this is what fruit is. Fruit is not the seed. It's after it's been cultivated, it becomes fruit. The fruit is the natural result of the seed receiving the proper care and nourishment that it needs. You are God's seed planted on this earth. And the only way you can bear fruit is if you are actually being nurtured properly. And so let me make this practical for you. There's a few things I'm going to make this practical for you as we close this message out. I'm going to try to rush my, hurry my way through this. So how do we stay connected to this vine? How do we ultimately bear fruit? How do we be the seed that God has planted on this earth? And it's really simple. The very first thing is you have to stay close to him. How do I stay close to him? There's three things I'm going to give you to stay close to God. The first one is prayer. You've got to pray. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says, always be joyful, never stop praying. Always be joyful, never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. You cannot say, I belong to Christ, but you don't have any thankfulness in your heart for where you are. You can't. 
Always be joyful. Never stop praying. So pray. Number two, this is the part where I think if, we, if, all, if all of us could get this piece right here, it would change and transform the entire face of this earth. Study the word. You, this is how I stay close. You cannot stay close to God just by putting some worship music on and lifting your hands. You've got to seek him. You've got to pray always. You've got to study. Matter of fact, Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 says, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in, the mocker, in with the mockers. But they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees. Here we go. We got that planted thing again. They're like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruits each season. You think that, come on, do you think there's not a correlation between Paul's teaching to the Galatian church about bearing fruit, Jesus saying, staying connected to the vine, and David saying, hey, there are trees by the riverbank that are planted and they're supposed to bear fruit in each season. Their leaves never wither and they prosper in all they do. Come on, anybody want to live a life where their leaves never wither and they prosper in everything they do? That is the offer that Christ has for you. But that wasn't enough. 119 chapters later, in verse number 9, how can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. I have tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. How do you stay close? You pray, you study, and you worship. You pray, you study, and you worship. And worship isn't what we do up here on Sunday morning. That's the corporate worship. John chapter 4, verse 23 and 24, the Bible says, but the time is coming. <laughs> Indeed, it is here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. It's the only way to worship God is in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. It's a lifestyle. Worship is what I do every day. That's why we talk about this everyday spirit. It is a lifestyle I live every day. And it goes back to what I shared in our communion time. It is a sacrificing of my body. It's a giving of myself. And with the understanding that I don't own anything. I don't even own this. This is on loan. This is on loan. This isn't, uh, I'm gonna, there's going to be a day where I have a glorified body. I'm just borrowing this one for right now. But God says that there is coming a day where we will stand in judgment before our Savior for everything we've done in our lives. How have we stayed close? Man, I got so much more I want to say. Goodness. Worship team, come on up here and get set, please. Is this helping y'all? Hey, Dan. Time's the movie starting here. He's hesitant in saying it. 
He knows why. I just, I'm just, two things. I'm just not done. And I, I don't want, I, I don't want, I know the mind can only endure what the butt can, the mind can only absorb what the butt can endure. That's truth. Try not to preach forever because of that, but man, it's just more I want to get to here. Not to mention, I, I feel like, I feel like the Holy Spirit wants to cover you in prayer this, this morning. So we're even going to do that. I'm going to even make a little space, and we don't, we have the space we need, so we're all right, but make a little space so we can pray for you this morning. Try, I'm not contagious, just so y'all know. You don't have to avoid me. Just got this thing in here, that's all. So we got to stay close. We have to, number two, stay connected. James chapter 5, 16 tells us to confess our sins to one another. 1 Thessalonians 5, 11 tells us to encourage and build one another up. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 tells us to stir one another up with the good works of, and love. Not neglecting meeting together, but encouraging one another. There's plenty to be said in scripture about neglecting community. Stay connected. That's why we have church on Sunday mornings. Stay connected. That's why we have small groups on Wednesday nights and Thursday nights and Wednesday mornings. Stay connected. People leave church every day because they're not connected. Stay connected. And when I say leave church, they leave church the big C every day because they're not connected. Stay connected. Last one I'm going to share with you is this. So we stay close, we stay connected, and then we stay in step. There's a cadence to following Christ, believe it or not. There's a rhythmic part of life where we stay in step. Matter of fact, Galatians 5, 25 and 26 says, since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. He says, let us follow the Spirit's leading. This idea of the Spirit leading, following the Spirit's leading, literally means I am staying in step with the Holy Spirit. It's the same word used in the Old Testament in Hebrew. They just brought it over to Greek. It's the same word that they would use when they would talk about the marching of a military. They stay in step. You ever watch parade marches? They're fascinating. You get a thousand plus people to march in the same cadence, the same step the same space between their feet and the ground from one step to the next, from one person to the next. They are in perfect unison. That's what that means. Stay in step with the Spirit. And our culture is getting much more hostile. For now, it's no problem with you being a person of faith or being Spirit-led as long as you keep it in your house or you keep it in your mind, or you keep it in your heart, or you keep it in your mouth. As long as it's a privatized faith, the world's okay with it. And as a matter of fact, the body of Christ has bought that lie to say faith is private. Faith isn't even seen until it's public. That's why church is so important. That's why witnessing the love of Christ is so important. That's why what you post on your social media is so important. 
The question is, is there actual evidence, hardcore evidence to convict you of actually having faith? Or does your social media reflect a lot more of what some random non-believers social media looks like? Or do the words that come out of your mouth to your children represent what the average angry person would say to their family? Faith is a public evidence. Your faith belongs on Sunday morning, but it doesn't have any place at work or in your neighborhood or in your hobby. We buy into this lie and it keeps us from really engaging people. If you want to really know what a true gathering of saints is supposed to look like, I want to encourage you to take a few minutes to study what the religious gatherings looked like in the days of the civil rights movement. That's what I want you to take a moment and think about and study on your own because for those that were convicted to live out their life in a leading of the spirit, here's how it would go for them. After an unbelievable amount of oppression, violent attacks, churches being burned, all because of their race. They're on the edge of wanting vengeance. They're on the edge of wanting to make, take matters into their own hands. They're on the edge of no longer being willing to be under the boot of, the, of, of men. They'd go and worship. They'd go and hear the word preached. And they would walk out resolved to follow the Lord and trust the Lord to bring them out in change and transformation. Yes, just like anything else, there was a violent piece of the civil rights movement that people would fight violence with violence. But the ones that saw true change and true transformation were the ones that would go into the presence of God and come out and say, the Lord will bring us out. It created in them a strength and a hope to press on in the middle of such blatant and horrific persecution. The gathering of saints today, God does things when we gather like this. He does things when we gather in small groups. He does things when we gather in prayer meetings. He does things when we gather in Bible studies. The things he does in those moments are the things that cause you to be able to come out of whatever you're under. That's how God moves. God said from the very beginning, let us, there was an us in the beginning. Let us make man in our image. He, was, he embodied community with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit from the very beginning. And he said, I'm going to make you in my image. He designed you to do life with other people. He designed you to come out from under this idea that you don't have to stay close or that my faith is private. He called you out of these places to say, I have a public faith for you to walk and let me tell you something, when you walk in that faith, when you walk in the favor of God, it, there's no one that can combat you. Starts with staying, staying close, staying connected, and staying in step.